Coming up on today's jam-packed show, I'll be chatting with fellow filmmakers Jeffrey Frame, Nick Smith, and Amelia Gilley about what made them want to become filmmakers and their respective films Shoreline, The Verso Verdict, and Alters, all three which will be playing at the Gulf Coast Filmmaker Showcase, which will be happening next Saturday, December 21st at 7 p.m., but you'll be hearing a lot about that in this episode. All of that coming up on this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, which starts right now. It is Thursday, December 12th, and welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast. Coming up on today's show, I'll have not one, not two, but three segments for you about the upcoming Gulf Coast Filmmaker Showcase we have on December 21st. And first of all, I'd like to welcome my first guest for this week's show, the writer-director of the film Shoreline and returning guest, Mr. Jeffrey Frame. How are you, sir? Hi, Derek. I'm doing really well. I'm uh, excited to be here. Yeah, no, we were actually talking before we started. It's been over four years since you were last on the show. And on one hand, it seems like yesterday, but on the other hand, it seems like a lifetime ago. And you were actually commenting how different the the setup is because it's much different than me rearranging the living room of my old two-bedroom apartment (laughs) into making like a makeshift studio. And now it's, we kind of actually have one. Yeah, if I didn't know this was in a house, I would think I was, I don't know, in New York City or something. It's just really cool looking. Yeah, so uh, nice job on setting up the environment. Oh, I appreciate that. That's probably the nicest thing anybody said about the setup yet, so I'll actually capture that as a (laughs) soundbite. Yes, uh, it's it's a nice ambiance. Yeah, really, I, I don't know, I'm just excited to be here. So. No, same. And we'll we'll get to the the filmmaker showcase that we have coming up in just a second. But I did want to start. Um, what was it that originally made you want to become a filmmaker? Because I know last time you were on the show, you had a film that you were working on, and now you have Shoreline, which you'll be showing at the filmmaker showcase. So, what made you want to become a filmmaker? I started when I was probably middle school doing a lot of comic strips and I think I mentioned comic strips last time I was here but really that is how it got started I just liked telling at the time just goofy silly stories and it was always in pictures telling stories in pictures and when I was in my 20s I mean I had finished college and I had majored in art I didn't really know what to do but it just kind of struck me one day I was like I should make a movie I think that'd be fun and it's the same thing as telling a story through pictures. It's uh, certainly very, very different, but it was really on a whim to begin with. And then after trying it and um, succeeding in the sense that I finished a movie, but failing in the sense that it was really terrible, <laughs> after having done that, I, I still I still had the bug and still wanted to keep doing it. Well, that's the thing with filmmaking, and it's a very common thing that is said on the show and in conversations that I have with other filmmakers is it's something that you either love it or you don't love it. There's really no in between. And when you do it, if you love it, you don't want to do anything else just because it's, there's nothing quite like being on a set or, you know, sometimes in my case, sitting in a computer, putting a movie together. Cause in a way it's all very much like a puzzle, whether you're writing the script, you're on set, really all the process is like a a puzzle and I know you've done multiple aspects do you have a like do you prefer directing do you prefer writing or do you just love the process as a whole that's a great question I I feel like I like uh, all kinds of different parts of it if I think if I was only doing production I would probably uh, have a heart attack over the stress (laughs) (laughs) Um, but there's this exhilaration that comes with uh, actually getting it done and seeing it happen. Uh, writing, there's really zero stress. I mean, at least in the sense that I'm not getting paid yet to do any writing. So nobody's waiting on, you know, we need those pages. Nobody's saying that to me. So it's really low stress, but there's also, there's this, uh, heavy sense of satisfaction with, I feel like I, I wrote a really good scene today. 
And then, you know, on the very far end with editing, it's, uh, it's just really gratifying to see something come together, to see those pieces finally coming together. So I don't know. I, yeah, I like it from beginning to end. But I think if I were to just do one, um, I think my preference would probably be the writing if I had to do just one because uh, I love the conception and the imagination of being able to just, uh, yeah, do whatever I want at that point. You're creating the universe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that's something about the process as a whole is there's so many different things to do that it never gets boring. You know, I, I always use the Parker Syndrome as an example. With the writing, I loved coming up with the characters and thinking, oh, it'd be cool to take them in this direction, or no, this might work better. And then from the the casting part, and we'll we'll get to Jesse in a second because he was in your film Shoreline that we'll get to. Yeah. Seeing the actors, especially in the audition process or the rehearsal process, kind of adding their own little dimensions and layers to the characters. Because I remember when he and Brittany were over doing uh, rehearsals for their scenes that they had together, watching them both bring the characters to life and adding that new dimension that I was thinking, why didn't I come up with that? <laughs> yeah, and, and then and when you see somebody do it really well, then you think to yourself, man, that's way better than what I would, like what I even had in mind. And then you're like, no, I, I came up with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, before you ever have an actor uh, do it, I think you imagine this is really fantastic. Like what I've written is just so good. And uh, then the person gets there and you realize they make it so much better. That and sometimes they'll perform lines that you wrote and you'll think, huh, that was not such a great line. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, they'll have ideas that will make it better in, a, in so many ways. Well, it's good to have that outside perspective, too, in a way, whether it's from any aspect of the filmmaking process. With actors, it's them adding their own dimension. If you have someone else who's editing, they might put it together in a way that, you know, you may not have, but actually turns out to be better. Because if you do the entire thing, because like with the Parker Syndrome, you know, I wrote it, directed it, and I also edited the movie. So I put it together the way that I felt like it should be. And I would be curious to give it to somebody else and just say, hey, you know, see what you can do with this and just to see what would happen. But I love adding the extra set of eyes on everything. Like that, That's just the great thing about filmmaking is the collaboration because you can involve different people, you get different opinions, different ideas. And sure, you might not use all of them, but you might find the one that, you know, is better than the one you came up with. I think that'd be really neat to see somebody um, shoot or edit something that I had written. I don't, I've never been on that end where I only wrote it and then somebody else. And I guess that's because I'm the only person who thinks what I have written is so great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one deluded enough to go with it. Um, except for Zach. Somehow I convinced him to keep making movies that I write. But yeah, yeah, you're, you're totally right. They do take it to new places and make it better. Now, how did you and Zach meet? Because I know you guys have worked together on multiple projects. Originally, it was we were in choir together back in church. I think it was maybe, I probably met him in middle school. I don't remember when I met him, but we were definitely in a high school choir together here in Pensacola, um, downtown, First Baptist Church. Nice. And uh, he he's always been really into music. He's got a degree in music, um, and that certainly has helped with like uh, he's written some music for our films. Um, and I just I knew that he had this interest in filmmaking, and he had had it long before I ever had any idea. I think he probably wanted to do it when he was a kid, and I never even the idea never even popped into my head till I was probably twenty three. Mm -hmm. I was like, huh. Well, maybe if I'm going to make something, maybe I should work with that guy. Because everything he has done is like self-taught. You know, this, before the internet was really a thing, he was going to the library and figuring out like what, how do I set up lights? Like, how do I do this? Checking out books and reading them and, you know, trying it on his own. That's awesome. And I'm sure it's great to have somebody that has been in your company for that long that you can trust and that you can have that 
collaborative effort with to have somebody to bounce ideas off of. And I know you guys do different things. So in a way, it sounds like you guys balance each other out when it comes to the actual process of making a film. Yeah, totally. I have done a couple projects without him um, that were really through work before. And I've, I've shot a couple of short films without him. But every time I work with him, I find the process to be much easier because there's somebody else who really cares about it. And when you're the only person who really cares, that's just, it's hard to push forward. I mean, yeah, the actors want to be in it and they're excited about it, but ultimately there's, there's, it's hard to find anybody who really cares about your project. So if you have one other, you know, just one other guy is huge. Mm Mm-hmm for getting it done and, you know, keeping motivation and inspiration, that sort of thing. No, absolutely. Now let's transition into Shoreline. Walk me through the the whole process of the making of Shoreline. What was the inspiration behind it? How did you guys conceive the story and how did you get it made? Years ago, together we worked on a feature film script. It was called Lights in the Sky. And it was really all about Gulf Breeze UFOs. Well, we've still got the script, um, still want to shoot it. One of the locations in the film was Shoreline Park, because for anybody who has lived in this area for very long knows that Shoreline Park is like UFO hotspot, like capital of the world, or at least it was back in maybe early 90s. So uh, it plays an important role in the film, or at least in the story. So the thought was, let's get some experience shooting at some of the locations we know are going to be in the feature, and let's just write a story that takes place at Shoreline Park. So that was that was probably number one. Uh, number two was, let's find some actors that we can use later on in a feature film. So let's audition some brand new people. Um, so let's try to give them some material that might be fitting for same kind of age of characters who are in the feature. Um, so really it was not based on like, Oh, I just have this great story idea. It was really more like we have this location we want and we know we want to meet some new actors. And so just started trying to write some ideas. I thought, well, shoreline park. Okay. Let's keep it simple. Two people. (laughs) So, uh, and what's, you know, what's, uh, what's the essence of story? Well, it's usually conflict, right? Mm -hmm. So it's two characters who are arguing. And, you know, that's kind of how it started. That sounds super boring to me, but um, that, that was really the original genesis of it. One location, two characters, and preferably not a lot of pages. I think it ended up being something like nine, which was a lot longer than it was supposed to be. But, um, yeah, that's how it started. And how did you find the, the two actors who star in the film? Because that's something that I don't really talk about as far as how you actually find actors. Because I know with the Parker Syndrome, I put out a casting call on Facebook and I had people send me video auditions because I set up a Google Drive, posted the link on the Emerald Coast film group page and people would send in submissions that way. Did you guys do something like that or did you have people already in mind? We did not have anybody in mind from what I remember. Um, Having shot quite a few short films here in this area we knew from experience that um it was hard to get anybody to show up for auditions at all and it was especially hard to get guys to show up in the past we've maybe held auditions and maybe had four or five ladies come and usually one or zero (laughs) guys would come so um my thought was just broadcast it everywhere i can possibly think of So, yes, of course, Facebook. There was the Pensacola Actors page. There was the Emerald Coast Film Group page. Then I called uh, Pensacola State College, and they let me show up for two of their acting classes. Oh, that's a great idea. And uh, then I called UWF, and I went to two of their acting classes. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like there was one or two more things. Oh, the other was uh, PLT, so Pensacola Little Theater. Right. So... What is that? That was uh, like four different avenues. So Facebook, uh, the two colleges, and the Pensacola Little Theater. And I'm pretty sure we got somebody to audition from at least at least one person from every one of those. 
Um, ultimately, I don't know that I could tell you <laughs> where particular people came from. I know that Asia was at UWF, I believe, in an acting class there, but a lot of the others I, I really don't remember. Right. That's a great idea, though. I didn't even think of that, to go to acting classes at PSC, UWF, or PLT. I have to keep that in mind for next time. Yeah, so, you know, I made the call, and um, there's always this part of you that thinks, I'm going to call, and they're going to say, no, that's dumb. <laughs> We're not going to allow that. There's always that part of the little voice in your head that says, that they're going to, like, laugh at you on the phone or whatever. But then you think, well, they're going to – you've already got to know. If you call and try, they might say yes. So, yeah. Yeah, so I contacted uh, professors at both schools, and they were really very, very generous um, about yeah me coming and giving my sh- my short pitch. Um, so that I I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, as far as shooting goes, how long did it take you guys to shoot it? I believe uh, we took two nights, and then we weren't quite finished. So. We brought in Jesse for one more sort of like half night. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think the schedule was something like sundown until we're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the first night was like sundown until maybe two. Mm-hmm. And then the second night was sundown until we're done or sunrise. And uh, then we kind of realized some point that second night that we still weren't going to finish. At least we would finish with all the actors except for Jesse because he was in more of the film than anybody else. I think, uh, yeah, he was at the very beginning and it ended with him. And so uh, he was gracious with his time and he came back. I remember one of the actors showed up and uh, when he got there, he said, so uh, how long are we here till? Is it till uh, till 11, till 12? And I said, no, uh, till 4. <laughs> and uh and, uh, you know that's what i told you guys i told you ahead of time we were going to be here like possibly all night and he says oh oh wow really okay <laughs> i don't know i guess he just thought like i wasn't serious to begin with or but i Who mean knows? that's that's the way to do it i mean if you want to get the thing done you have to prepare for like using the hours yeah, yeah. well especially something that's as time sensitive as shoreline because the whole thing takes place at night so it's the only time you can shoot. So chances are at least one of those nights, you're going to be out there for a while. Right, right. So funny story about Jesse. I may have told you this at one of the roundtables that we were at a couple of months ago, but Steve Wise, a mutual friend of ours, was out on set for one of the nights, and he told me the character that Jesse was playing. He said, yeah, Jesse's playing an overprotective brother, which he plays a brother in the Parker Syndrome, so I'm thinking... God, I hope we haven't typecast him. <laughs> and then his character's name in your movie is Ethan. And Ethan's the name of the villain in the Parker syndrome. Is that right? So it's like small world. Yes. Like, yes. like what, what are the odds of that happening? <laughs> it's the, uh, the zeitgeist, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, Jesse's fantastic. I can't say enough good things about him. Well, Jesse surprised me in that... I feel like sometimes when you're on set and you see somebody doing their performance, you're just like, oh, yes, this is it. Like, I I have no question. This is working fantastic. He did it in this sort of um, subtle, just very different way from what I expected. And I'm there on set. I'm like, well, we're getting the shots. (laughs) (laughs) But I, you know, at the time while we're shooting, I kind of felt like I just don't know if this is going to work. I'm watching his performance and. It was certainly not what I had in my head mm-hmm. before we got there. Um, but I thought, you know, let's let's power through and maybe with editing we can make it work. And sometimes that is the case. You have an, a- have an actor who may not be quite as strong, but with editing, you just pick the best take, right? So then we get back and we watch the thing and I realize, you know, he made some really good choices and it worked. It, mm-hmm. it, it was just... It was just different from what I had in my head when I was writing the thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways sometimes that a story can work. And I felt like he really did make it work. That's exactly how I feel about his performance with the Parker Syndrome. It wasn't really at all what I expected. But especially going back and watching it, I was glad that he did what he did. Because now I can't picture that character 
being any other way. Huh. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So uh, a note to uh, any other future uh, film filmmakers in town. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, it's going to work out if you use Jesse. Jesse Hartzog. Yep. Good actor. Yep. Can't say enough good things about him. So where could people... Uh, is Shoreline available for uh, people to see online? Are you sure you want them to see it before uh, the showcase? <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> well, it, it is available. Actually, most of the films that we have shot over the last 10 years are on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to biglagoonmedia.com slash short films, and I don't, it's maybe eight films, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, biglagoonmedia.com slash short films, and it goes all the way back to maybe 2008, something like that, with short films we've been working on. Awesome. Last question I'll ask you before we get out of here. What advice do you have to any aspiring filmmaker? If you could offer one piece of advice, what would it be? It would be focus on uh, the story. Focus on making a story about some someone that your audience can care about. There may only be one thing that's redeeming about your character, but at least include one thing that makes the audience be like, okay, well, I'll go with this person on this journey. And then... Uh, you know, put some obstacles in their way that they have to overcome. There's something really gratifying about seeing a character face obstacles and get through them. So, yeah, story trumps everything. You can you can replace your actor, you can replace your director, you can replace everybody, but uh, if the story doesn't work, then it's, you know, it's no good. So <laughs> make sure the story's good. No, I, I couldn't agree more. That That's what filmmaking is all about, the story and the characters that are in said story. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for returning to the podcast, and we look forward to watching Shoreline as part of the Gulf Coast Filmmaker Showcase. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the other films as well. Thanks for letting me be part of it. Happy to be joined with another one of my very special guests this week. He's been an actor director, writer, producer, pretty much anything you can think of in the film industry he has done. The director of The Verso Verdict, Mr. Nick Smith. How are you tonight, sir? I'm good, Derek. How are you? Good. Good. Just wrapping up uh, another week here. And it's kind of crazy that as we, when this episode is released, it'll be a little over a week away from, you know, the, the Gulf Coast Filmmaker Showcase that I'm putting on. And it just right. seems like yesterday that I just reached out to everyone and be like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this screening. Would you be interested in showing your movie? It just shows how quickly time flies by. It does. So what have you been up to lately? I know you, I haven't, I've seen you a couple of times since you helped me out with the Parker syndrome, but we were just talking um, off air. You've actually been working on uh, some pretty cool projects. That's right. Yeah, I've been helping a local production company called Red Light Switch, who are uh, based in Pensacola. Um, with a web series they're doing called Whiskey and Wings, where they uh, go to different microbreweries in different local nearby states, and uh, their hosts match up sauces and rubs for wings to go with whiskey. So the best part of that is I get to taste it. I'm recording sound for them on that. And, um, yeah, that's taken me all over the place. I'm so jealous of that job. <laughs> I would love to work on a set where you could just taste whiskey and wings afterwards. That sounds great. It's unusual that they actually put the crew on camera and we're part of the the kind of taste testers at the end. Oh, that's even better. So you you can even you see me holding the boom with my headphones on. I'm trying to record sound and eat wings at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that that would actually be a pretty cool visual. You just You'd throw the, the boom pole over your shoulder and then just, you know, start crushing wings and whiskey that way, too. Yeah, I kind of tuck it under my arm. But uh, that'll be out on YouTube in February, so I'm looking forward to that. And I just heard today that my horror movie feature, Eight Graves, um, should be out in the new year. And that's been a long time coming, so that's a big deal as well. That's awesome. Uh, there's a lot of good things happening. 
yeah, we'll have to have you back on the podcast maybe sometime early next year when that's out to, to talk about it. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. For sure. So kind of backtracking a little bit, we'll go back to the very beginning. How did you initially get into the film industry? Because I was looking at your IMDb page and you were even acting back in like the late 90s. So how, yes. how did you initially yeah. get into it and what's kept you going, you know, all these years later? So when I was a, a little kid, I always wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write books. Um, I knew what, what scripts were for TV. Really, I think I was just trying to to please my mum, who taught me how to read. And, you know, I was just trying to get praise from her or something. But uh, I kept writing and I started writing scripts for other filmmakers. And some of them came out great. And some of the filmmakers completely changed my stories. So that got me thinking, hang on a minute. Maybe I should get on, you know, right behind the camera, uh, film the scripts the way I want to see them. And that's how I got involved in that part of it as well. Yeah, I I can imagine as a writer when you see that your work's been altered and not the way that you exactly saw fit. I, I, I would think if I were in the same position, I'd be like, wait a minute. How do I do this filmmaking thing so I can actually do the stories? And that that's the cool thing about being a writer-director is that you get to see the whole process through from the very beginning. You get to create the story, the characters, whether it's for a feature or a short. Direct exactly. it. And, yeah. Get get the performances out of the actors that, you know, because you, you know, because you've written the story, you know how you want the characters to be or how you envision the characters to be. So you know how to convey that message to the actors and then just see it all unfold is a is a pretty awesome process. That's right. Yeah, you see it all in your head before it happens, so you can kind of communicate that um, if you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so another part of it was, you know, as a writer, it was a very isolated thing. You know, just sitting alone at a computer trying to write novels. So the when I started filmmaking. I loved the collaborative aspect of it. You know, I, I could hang out with the actors and I could um, share ideas and improve the story, you know, with other people's ideas. So it took me out of my own head and helped me socialize, and it was great. Well, that's something that I've heard stories about, and I noticed it a little bit when I worked on Survey, you know, Steve Wise's film a couple of yes. years ago. And when we you know, shot the Parker syndrome, I definitely felt that. And almost every filmmaker personality, whether it's a director, actor, writer, they all say the same thing, that you all kind of bond and become like a little family in a way. And it's, I think that's been, from what little I've actually dabbled into the filmmaking process, that's been my favorite aspect of it is you know, working with the actors and Sometimes they'll even come up with an idea or a little quirk that can be way better than what you envisioned in your head. Or somebody else might have an idea that's really cool. So it's truly a collaborative effort, and it's great. That's right, yeah. Um, you do make new family members, almost. And, and then you might not see them for years, but you have that connection that you'll always have. And another aspect of that is if you're involved in the editing part of it, you might see someone's face a hundred times or, you know, hear the same line over and over again. And you feel like, you know, that person really well, even if you've only been on set with them for one day. So I'll bump into people months later and I'll be quoting that line to them and be all friendly. And they'll be like, well, we only knew you for one day. <laughs> How do you know us so well? Because I've seen all their twitches and their quirks and their, mannerisms i've never looked at it from that angle yeah if you if you're editing you really do get to see faces and you pick up on you know because you're you're even watching before the director says action so you're just kind of seeing the person standing there and whether they're fidgety or just being really stoic you you see little quirks and mannerisms that you, know, you would normally pick up on if you met them in person but in a way it's it's like you stick with them after you have their brief encounter on set with them. That's right. Yeah, you get really up close and personal, whether they like it or not. Oh, definitely. So do you have, out of all the things that you've done, because as I said, you've done everything from sound, writing, directing, producing, 
do you is there a certain job that stands out to you as if you had to pick one of those to do forever like this would be it wow um if i had to do a job forever it would be directing because um i can work with the actors and i can you know it's about communication you know so you're you're trying to take all the information from all the different crew and cast and um putting that into the camera and making it work as a film. But, uh, you know, I'm happy doing anything on set. I'll hang up a light and I'll have a stupid big grin on my face. You know, I'm working on a set. I'm hanging off with a light. Yeah, I, I still got that passion. There's just something about being on a film set that can't compare to really anything else. If you're passionate about filmmaking, when you're on a set, even if you're just there to visit or you're a PA, it's almost like a magical feeling in a way. Like it just, it feels right. That's right. Yeah. How did you get into doing all these other jobs? Cause you mentioned you had started as a writer and then you wanted to work behind the camera to get the stories made the way you wanted them. Were these jobs that you just took for the sake of being on set? Did you want to literally learn everything? Like how, what was your thought process with doing all these jobs and getting all these jobs? When I talk to other filmmakers, they agree that being willing to help, you know, being willing to do different things on set is hugely important. I was up for being an extra, um, running sound, data entry, you know, anything at all that would help get a film made. I remember one day I spent most of the day holding a van door open because, um, you know, we didn't have a prop to kind of hold the door open, so I had to be like the human door lock to hold it. <laughs> um, another day I worked on a feature, and I had to be a stand-in for a horse because it was cheaper for me to trot through a gate than get the horse to do it. So, yeah, that was fun, and that's, it helped pay an the bills job. being so versatile. And I learned so much. You know, just being a stand-in or an extra, I can watch what's going on and learn a lot. I encourage everybody to do that. Uh, I couldn't agree more. It makes me think when I was on set for Servi, because I, I was the sound operator, and I was only there for day uh, two out of the yes. two-day shoot. And you know, Kevin Almodovar, who I can't say enough good things about, he was mm -hmm, me the, too. <laughs> he was the the DP for the project, and I'm just standing there. You know, we're they're getting the camera set up for the shot. And I'm just standing there off to the side. I've got the boom pole on my shoulder. I've got my recorder, you know, basically like latched onto my belt. Uh -huh. And I, I get so drawn into watching what Kevin's doing that I almost forget to roll sound. Like I'm almost just in this my own little world. Just because watching him work is so fascinating because he's just so good at what he does. And even the... The, the brief work that I've had with him on that, and then he you know, was DP for the Parker Syndrome, I learned so much from him. The brief times that we've worked together, it's been immensely helpful, and I can't say enough good things about him. Well, what I love about Kevin is he, does, he doesn't just have the skills, but also he, he loves what he does, You know, whether it's running the camera or being a gaffer or the other things he does. He's, he's passionate He's willing to teach, to show people what he's doing, and it's infectious. Mm -hmm. You know, his his love for, for making those films. And he was the DP on The Verso Verdict as well. He made it look pretty. That he did. And that's actually a very good segue to The Verso Verdict. So it was part of what was called the 100-hour film race. That's right, yeah. So Kevin and Teens Blackburn, uh, a local actress, they approached me and said, you know, they wanted to do the 100-hour film race. It is a worldwide um, race. It's open to a lot of nationalities, very high-quality films in the past, and you have 100 hours to make your film. They give you a prop. Um, they give you a theme, and basically, you know, you have to keep it real short, um, simple, and we just got to it. How close did you hit the deadline? Or how much time was left <laughs> when you hit the deadline? I think we had about two minutes to spare. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, what, 99 hours and 58 minutes, and we're watching the, the computer rendering the, the footage, and we're like, oh, this isn't going to happen at all. 
I was literally biting my nails. Oh, I'm sure. That's a a very nerve-wracking process. Not just if you have a time limit to submit a project, if you have to upload it, especially a video, so many things can go wrong. You can lose internet, the site can crash, the upload can just stop. I, I can imagine that had to have been like just as much anxiety filled as trying to get the project done on time. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it was more stressful than I expected. Um, you know, we tried to multitask. So, you know, while I was waiting for um, things to render, I would work on original music, you know, trying to get that together. Um, we kind of got together at the, in, at the beginning of the project, trying to come up with different ideas, brainstorming. So there were um, three or four of us um, working on plots rather than, you know, just relying on one person and putting it all on him. At the end of the day, we did have one writer who developed his idea, Joseph Klingman, and he did a great job with that. And he actually won an award at the Kite Film Fest for Best Screenplay. Yeah. Yeah, he deserved it. He had a, a very broad idea to start with, and Kevin especially helped him to kind of boil it down to something we could tell in about 10 minutes. So did you have the actors lined up already for the project, regardless of what the story turned out to be? We did have some ideas for actors. Um, some, you know, Not all of them were available. Some of them didn't work out. For example, we had a little girl who... Um, you know, we had a child in the script. So we had a little girl lined up, but then the morning of the shoot, she decided she didn't want to do it. It was a bit scary for her. Mm-hmm. Um and her brother stepped in, and he was great. But yeah, we had a basic idea of the actors we could use. That sounds like a really nerve-wracking, but also a really fun process. <laughs> it was fun. You know, you hear about the 24-hour and the 48-hour um, film projects where people get together for a weekend or a day. You think, oh, 100 hours is, is way more than that. You know, we're going to have plenty of time. But we didn't have plenty of time. <laughs> Just that race against the <laughs> clock. That's right. Kept on taking. So, and I did want to throw this out there too. In addition to getting the film done on time with a whole two minutes to spare, you guys <laughs> won a few different awards for it. You won best film, best actor, and best supporting actress. So, I I think that's, that's right. absolutely fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I'm really pleased about that. Um, and it wasn't unexpected, really. We didn't really expect um, anything because we knew how high the quality was of the previous entries and they're coming from all around the world so we're like well you know we're just here in Fort Walton Beach Florida what can we do but um, luckily the audiences liked it a lot and we won the race fantastic so as we start to wrap up here I did want to mention that the Verso verdict along with several other films made around the Pensacola Gulf Coast area We'll be showing at the Gulf Coast Filmmaker Showcase on Saturday, December 21st at Garden and Grain, which is right behind Perfect Plain Brewing Company in downtown Pensacola. That starts at 7 p.m. Uh, in closing, do you have any um, websites or social media, YouTube, where people can go check out your work? Um, really, uh, my own YouTube channel is Nick Smith Films. I'm just plain and simple Nick Smith and um, you can find um, trailers footage pictures from the Verso verdict on Facebook um, there's some kind of behind the scenes making of clips which are fun so uh, just search for the Verso verdict and you will find it fantastic well Nick thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast and look forward to having you on again you're welcome I'm looking forward to it too Happy to be joined with another special guest this week, the writer and director of the film Alters, Miss Amelia Gilly. How are you tonight? I'm doing very well. And you, Derek? Doing good. I actually just got off the phone with Nick Smith, another filmmaker who's going to be having uh, his film shown at the upcoming Gulf Coast Filmmaker Showcase on the 21st. So it's been uh, an, an evening of discussing film. So looking forward to discussing that even more. 
All right, let's get to it. Yeah, so I I wanted to start a little bit because I we briefly met I think at the last filmmakers meet and greet at Perfect Plane uh, I think it was yes. last month, but so mm-hmm. we we briefly interacted, but I didn't get a chance to really get a little bit of your backstory. So what was it that initially made you want to get into the crazy world of filmmaking? I've been a writer for a long time. Um, I started writing whenever I was in my late thirties, just writing stories. And then that kind of developed by the time I got to my forties to where I was actually, um, using beat boards to plan my stories, you know, which is, you know, a step to script writing. And then it kind of developed into the point where I was just um, writing dialogue. And I did that for a long time. It was just a way that I was expressing myself. It was just um, something for me to do to uh, work through stories that I had in my head. And then about, I guess, eight years ago, um, my family moved to Fairhope, Alabama. And so uh, everything in my life changed. And I was, um, I didn't go to work right away. So I was uh, doing some volunteer work and meeting different people. And it's just interesting how you find yourself meeting people that, that have the same kinds of um, artistic likes that you do. And I met a few filmmakers and I met a few writers and someone read one of the stories that I wrote. And it was the first time that, you know, someone had said, Hey, you know, you should do something with this. You are, you know, you are a good writer. Um, So what do you want to do with it? Do you want to make a script with it? Do you want to make a film out of it? And it just gave me a lot of inspiration. And I've always loved films. I started loving film when I was 10 years old. And my aunt took me to the local downtown theater to see Jaws. And it was the best experience of my life. So I have been in a relationship with film uh, ever since then. So I met these people in, in Alabama that I started writing with and making short films with. And that is absolutely how all of this got started. <laughs> and it's crazy to think it may have never happened had you not moved. Yes, it is very crazy. I mean, there are so many good reasons um, why we moved to lower Alabama. But, I mean, it, for me, it, it's, it's just been a, a great time. And I'm very appreciative to be in the area. And just to be set down in a community um that has all kinds of artists here um it was it's been a it's been a blessing yeah i haven't had a chance to make it to fairhope in quite a long time i think it's been maybe a decade since i've Mm -hmm. been to fairhope i remember the last time i went there this was long before you know i i actually made my film but fairhope is a place that i would love to shoot like a period piece in Oh, yeah, it'd be great. That's a good idea. It'd be a great place to shoot a period piece here. Because you feel like you're in a a town, like a town square from like the 40s or the 50s. And I just pictured, you know, the old cars driving around, guys wearing suits and hats and everything. Like it it would be, it would be fantastic. Yeah. There's some rich history here in Fairhope. So you can, and you can feel it. You can still feel it. It's, it's a great little place. It is. And anybody who's in the area, I, I recommend it as a place to, you know, you can go to Fairhope and spend you know, virtually a day there. Yeah. It would be absolutely. great. And you it's got f- the bay, which, you know, and the pier, and you can be on the water. You can be downtown shopping in some of the boutiques. Or There's a lot of bookstores, a lot of coffee shops, a lot of restaurants. It's, and, and the beauty of it is, you know, phenomenal. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioning Jaws, a lot of filmmakers that I talk to, Jaws is either their favorite movie or it's one that inspired them to want to make movies because it was like one of the first, if not the first, big summer blockbuster, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, I love it. <laughs> it did inspire me. It scared me to death, 
Like I said, I was only 10. I was afraid to get in the bathtub after Jaws. <laughs> you know, my mind kind of runs away. You know, your imagination when you're a kid runs away with you. But but um, it's still my favorite movie. I've watched it I don't know how many times. And, and yeah, little did I know then that, that I would end up making some short films and always be inspired by Spielberg and, um, you know, some a lot of different filmmakers but yeah especially that kind of film you'll get a kick out of this this was this past summer i think there was a screening of jaws at pensacola beach where, yeah yeah <laughs> i was thinking how many people would just have so much anxiety sitting on the water watching yeah. a shark attack people thinking it could happen at any moment yeah they also do that over at dolphin island which is on the other side of the bay from Fairhope, but I think that's that's a cool idea. I'd like to do it sometime. <laughs> oh, I would too. So transitioning into your film Alters, how did the idea for it come up, and one, what was it that inspired you to do the 48-hour film project? Because I, I've heard people talk about it, and it sounds like it would be absolutely insane, but it would also sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's both. I mean, insane. I don't know if I'd say insane. I think it's insane depending on, you know, your team. So if you've got a good solid uh, crew that you're working with, then, you know, you're going to be fine. Um, a lot of people go in, you know, get there's all different kind of teams that, that go in. There are teams that get together for the first time and do uh, the 48-hour film project and, and seasoned teams. So just kind of depends on who you're with. But I, I appreciate uh, the 48-hour film project. What inspired me to do it is because uh, the previous year, I had been asked to join uh, Rachel Searcy, who's director of photography and editor. She had asked me to join her team uh, and help out with last year's project, which was uh, – called a day without magic so that was actually the first time that i had worked with rachel and um for this year she kind of asked the same um crew that we had for last year and some of them came back and we picked up a few new crew members um but i have been doing mobile bay film scrambles which is very similar to the 48 hour film project I've heard since, of that as well. I've been doing those competitions since probably 2015 and loved them. Uh, they're very similar. You usually have more time, though. 48 hours is basically that's all you have. You have 48 hours and that's it. You go and um, draw your genre, um, get, get your uh, assignments. Uh, determine the things that you have to have in there, the elements that you have to have in your film, and then you just get to work. Um, really, the only difference with the Mobile Bay Film Scramble is you have more time, usually about two weeks. And there are excellent opportunities to just practice your craft. You know, if you want to try something new, you know, try it in the Film Scramble. Um, if you want to work with some new people, pull them in, get a crew. Um, it's all a learning experience, and um, they're great opportunities. Uh, so I've been doing those types of uh, competitions. So whenever I found out about 48-hour New Orleans, absolutely, I, I wanted to do it right away. And how is your experience making altars specifically? And how, how did you guys come up with the story that you did? And what was it like being on set for that? You, knowing that you had just a very short amount of time to get everything done. Rachel and I are very organized. So, I mean, you have uh, a lot of information. You have all your paperwork. You know, you're, you have enough time to be prepared. You cannot write the story. You can't do any production before. But we were at least organized and had our crew together, knew what everybody's um, position was going to, to be, knew what the responsibilities were. So we were ready. And then whenever you go for the time to get started, you draw your genre, 
you find out the elements that you have to have. And we drew drama and we knew we had to have uh, a character that had to be an accountant. We knew we had to have a prop that was a trash can. And we knew what line we had to use. We knew it couldn't be any more than seven minutes. So when we drew drama, that was perfect for me because that's mainly what I write. And um, we signed up in New Orleans and then we went out to Metairie to shoot. So on the way from uh, New Orleans back to Metairie, you know, I'm just brainstorming in my head and uh, get to our film location and go into my little office there and and one of the main actors, Darby Matthews, came in and she said, hey, you know, I want to let you know that um, I'm really prepared for this. And I just wanted to let you know that even if you wanted to do something like multiple personalities, I'd be up for that. And that just blew my mind wide open. I was like, OK, that's it. Then we're going with it. You know, again, whenever I was young, I was a big reader. So. I was very interested. I, I read um, The Three Faces of Eve and Sybil when I was probably in middle school. I think my my mother and my grandmother, they always read Reader's Digest condensed books. I was thinking earlier, how did I get a hold of those books <laughs> when I was that young? I was thinking maybe it was a condensed version, but then later on I got the full books. And then after I read them, I saw the movies whenever I was a little bit older and I've always been um, fascinated with the human psyche and, you know, how we behave and why we behave and why, you know. Well, the whole concept of multiple personalities is really interesting. Yes. I, I can't remember the there was a movie I saw as a kid that had a kid that had a split personality. But I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. So the the mm -hmm. whole multiple person in the the movie I first think of is I think the movie Split with James yeah, McAvoy, yeah. where he has over twenty something different personalities. And it was yeah. interesting because there were people involved with the film that I've known of, but haven't really had little to no interaction with. Like uh, Marsha Vega, I've had on the podcast before as part of a uh, Cornbread Cosa Nostra panel. Mm -hmm. And then Jason Robbins is actually one of my best friends, and he and I do another podcast together. Mm -hmm. So, and I, yes. you know, he he talked a lot about you know how quickly you guys had to move to get everything done yeah. in that short amount of time. So it it sounds like so, a really big undertaking, but I can imagine that it was really rewarding when it was done. Yeah, when she said um, multiple personalities, I just drew back from civil. Sybil, The Three Faces of Eve, and then, of course, most recently, Glass and Split, and I love M. Night Shyamalan anyway. And, you know, I also went online and made sure that I had my facts right because I didn't want to um, not do the topic uh, justice. You know, I wanted to be responsible with the topic. So... Um, once once I had once we had that established that I was up for writing about multiple personalities and drawing from my own research and experiences with books and movies, it just went from there. It all just kind of came together. Yes. So I spent the I think we signed up at like seven o'clock on a Friday night and I spent most of the night um, writing the script and more, and then um, as I was writing, well, not I was, I got the script written first, and then um, Rachel started in with storyboarding and preparing to start shooting. And you know, in the morning, you know, everybody's prepared. Everybody knows what time they need to be there already because we're communicating with all those people that you said. And we also had Emily Miller was our audio engineer and. We had uh, Stuart Boone that it was a great chef providing food for us. And Jennifer Keeling, she was my script supervisor. That was a big help. And um, we had one PA, Mitchell Androge, and we had a set photographer, Christopher Burnett. So everybody came in on time when they should be there. Um, I don't know if you mentioned... Um, Michael Collier also had a small part in there. He was Jason Robbins' friend mm -hmm. uh, in the in the in the film. So everybody's on time. It just moved very 
very smoothly. The vibe was really good on that set. Well, it's like the analogy that I use when talking about film. Everyone is a cog in the big machine of filmmaking. It takes all of them working together to make the machine work. Absolutely. And one of the, whenever, you know, I told you earlier, the first first person that read, you know, a script that I gave him to read said, yeah, you need to, you need to go with that. But he, that very first person said, you're trying to do it all yourself. It's a, it's a team effort. And he was absolutely right. It's, you know, it takes every team member doing their part. And when everybody's in sync, it's a beautiful thing. That's great. And in addition to you know you guys completing the film in the allotted time, you guys also won the Alice Award by the Women in Film and Television of Louisiana, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, we were very, very proud of that. We, we weren't expecting anything. When we go into competitions, I try not to ever expect anything. You know, you just you just can't. But um, we were very pleased to receive that award. It meant a lot because the production was a good production. We had an excellent cast, excellent crew, and we worked hard. And and we were all proud of that film. So I'm, I'm proud that we got that um, recognition from Women in Film and Television Louisiana. Definitely. Well, as we start to wrap up here, I, I do want to mention that Alters will be one of the several films that we'll be playing on Saturday, December 21st at Garden and Grain, which is located behind Perfect Plain Brewing Company in downtown Pensacola. That's going to be at 7 p.m. It'll be Alters, uh, Verso Verdict by Nick Smith, Monsters Anonymous, which Jason Robbins, one of your actors, actually co-wrote, among mm-hmm. several other films. So uh, it should be a, a really fun night and I'm sure I speak for you as well. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, and um, I want to thank um, you so much for um, having me on the show today and also for choosing Alters to be screened. Um, you know, that's just a blessing, and um, I can't tell you how appreciative I am for it. Well, no, it's no problem at all. I, I was The initial idea for wanting to do this was we had a screening for um, the Parker Syndrome, Verso Verdict, and Survey, which is a film that I worked on a couple of years ago. We did a screening for those three back in September. And I had a lot of fun at it, and I was thinking it would be, it would be, it would be really fun to do one maybe around Christmas because you can tie in you know, the holiday spirit. To me, the holidays are a time for friends and family to get together and enjoy each other's company. And what better way to do that than to watch films that a lot of people worked hard on, and it's a great way to close out 2019. It certainly is. Uh, Again, it's a blessing, and I'm so looking forward to it, and I know we're going to have a good time. And it'll be great to meet all those other filmmakers. I have not met all of the other ones, so I really appreciate um, being able to connect with other filmmakers in the area and... um, hopefully start making some collaborative efforts uh, with other filmmakers. Absolutely. Last thing I want to ask you before we get out of here, do you have any websites or social media that you want to plug? I do. I have GMG Photo and Film. I have uh, the website, which is the name, gmgphotoandfilm.com, and also Facebook. Fantastic. Well, Amelia, thank you so much for taking the time to do the podcast and looking forward to the film screening. All right. Thanks for having me. Thank you once again to Jeff, Nick, and Amelia for coming on the show to talk about their respective films, which again will be a part of the Gulf Coast Filmmaker Showcase happening next Saturday, December 21st, located at Garden and Grain, which is behind Perfect Plain Brewing Company in downtown Pensacola. We're going to get things kicked off at 7 p.m., a total of six films that will be played, including Alters, Shoreline, and The Verso Verdict, which you heard about today. We'll also be screening Monsters Anonymous, written by former podcast guests Jason Robbins and Wally Phelps, Survey, written and directed by Steve Wise, and of course, The Parker Syndrome, written and directed by yours truly. As far as next week's podcast episode, it will be the week of Rise of Skywalker, so you know I have to talk about Star Wars. We're going to have a jam-packed 
roundtable about the Star Wars franchise that will include myself, Steve Wise, Jason Robbins, and Jonathan McIntosh, who you might remember from the London Arts Acting Studio episode that I featured on the podcast about two years ago. So he's a huge Star Wars fan like the rest of us, so he'll be joining us as well. We're going to talk about everything from the movies, The Mandalorian, the animated series, anything Star Wars related we're going to get into. And then the following week, we're going to come back and review The Rise of Skywalker. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience, and don't forget to leave a review. You can follow me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And in closing, thank you as always to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night drive Through" and Light and Jazzy can be found on their album Greetings from the Space Fan, which they actually just released a new EP called More Than a Myth. You can find that and Greetings from the Space Fan on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you once again to Jeff, Nick, and Amelia. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. <laughs>